Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the infiltrating body horror alien to my strong-jawed, definitely not Snake Plissken chopper pilot, Mr. Robert Lundgren. They're, they have nothing in common. There's totally no Snake Plissken no, nothing, in McCready. Nothing. In McCready nothing. No, no growling, either. No. Well, okay. Maybe there's that. Maybe there's that. Hey, man, he was. he's the commander. <laughs> he's the commander. He, he's Kurt Russell's everything. He's my everything. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that, because he's my everything, too. And um, I just watched Guardians of the Galaxy 2 not too long ago, and man, I just forgot how good he is in <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, Kurt Russell. Oh, my. Although seeing creepy CG youngified Kurt Russell was a little was a little weird. It's a little weird. I thought it. I thought that worked well. I thought that worked totally well. I, th- I thought it was even better than the stuff they did in... Um uh, Rogue One. It's come a long way. Oh, it's just it's just creepy. Cause cause here's the thing. His voice when he looked like that isn't his voice now, but it was his voice now. It was just weird. You know what I mean? Kurt Russell's older now, you know, and he's got that he's got that gravitas and that wisdom, you know, and and old man voice and just coming out of young Kurt Russell's body was just there was something kind of uh uncanny valley about that that I couldn't get across. See, I thought it worked given the uh, nature of the character, right? I mean, the character's ancient. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not saying it, it didn't play well, but it was just, I, I couldn't separate Kurt Russell out from Ego, the living planet. Well, as always, we want to start out our episode by giving a big, giant thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help keep the lights on, and we appreciate it. And, Robert, we got a little bit of uh, news for our uh, Patreon patrons. Yes, yes. Uh, right now, all of our wonderful Patreon patrons are signed up for a contest to get 20 fantastic dollars in drive through RPG gift cardness. Gift cardness, that's a word, right? Yeah, I'm going to allow it. Okay. So, yeah, all you got to do is be one of our Patreons when episode 43 hits the interwebs. And then, yeah, that's all you got to do. So, if you want to be a Patreon and go listen to Deep Dive Bright and all of that stuff, head on over and join. 20 bucks, drive through RPG, help us out. It's cool. Well, without any further ado, let's kick off our first segment of the show. And we are going into our off the shelf segment. This, of course, is our segment where we tell you about all the cool, geeky stuff that we've gotten off of our shelves. And into our hearts on a very special episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Robert starts taking drugs and then contemplates dropping out of school before he kicks his alcoholism and passes his SATs. I like it. (laughs) I see you're continuing to read Legacy of Shadow. Any updates that do not spoil it because it's on my reading list as well? Okay, so I don't want somebody to interpret this as a bad thing because it's like the only thing I can think of to describe this book and I do not mean it in a bad way I think of that book kind of like uh, the television show Lost and here's why I guess maybe I need to just find a better show than Lost but Lost had like a lot of mysteries and it would sort of spool out the reveals about those mysteries over time and 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 this book does that. So like I can't talk about it because every sort of every time they answer a question, it just kind of a- asks two more about sort of the backstory and the plot and all that. And it's doing a very good job of that. And so like I can't stop 
it's very frustrating because I, I only really have time to listen to this when I'm driving to Costco. And so it's like, I want to drive to Costco more often. And I'm like, honey, honey, I we're, we're almost out of peanut butter. I mean, we got like a full jar, but after that, we'll have nothing. Should I go get peanut butter? Should I, we've only got nine cans of beans left. Maybe I should go get another box. You know, like I, I'm trying to invent reasons to go to Costco because yeah, I, it's just every time something comes up, it's like, oh my, you know, it just, ask two more questions and it just keeps you it just keeps you going man and and i don't know that's how i think of early seasons of lost but lost ultimately didn't pay off so i'll say it's like steven universe because they do the same thing but they're doing it well so there you go oh there you go there you go so i can't talk about anything it spoils stuff but it's cool all right but you're enjoying it still that's what's important i'm inventing reasons to go to costco (laughs) all right fair enough well what is this the undead Uh, i think i talked about it a long long time ago but Back during my Dracula dossier prep, one of the books they referenced was a book by a dude named Joel Emerson uh, about him taking all of the various and sundry bits that got cut out of Dracula and trying to like shove them back in in Bram Stoker's own style. Yeah, I remember that. I I, I joined you know the the nineteenth century and I put a lamp by my bed so I have reading light now before I go to bed and I'm trying to go through some of the books that I've collected and not read so I'm that is my new one I'm plugging away at this one it's interesting because like the the Dracula dossier was obviously written with the purpose of being like a game aid so it kind of injects this sort of vague spycraftness to everything so to speak sure whereas the Dracula dossier is a lot more like analytical or something you know so it's obvious that the dossier was based off of pieces of it but the way that they arrange stuff and characters that do things that are talked about in you know uh stoker's notes and stuff the ones that they decided to do stuff you know for the dossier it's all about spy stuff and for this one it's about maybe what's a little bit more character appropriate i don't know but it's it's interesting uh i I, reading the differences between the two but yeah i'm i'm basically reading a fourth version of dracula i guess i'm a dracula super fan fourth version which is funny because all you want to do is stab vampires to death that's what dracula is about van helsing arthur dr yes they they they, it's the vampire hunting crew man it's the original gangster hunt vampire hunting crew why do you think i like funny because i got a little bit of uh i got a little vampire love i watched blade the other day yes yes that movie's so good i'm sorry i know we're jumping around to movies here but i'm just gonna take a little quick blade moment here (laughs) because uh, that movie is is completely unappreciated for what it is because I don't think, and this is my own personal estimation, I don't think that the modern superhero genre would exist without Blade. I think Blade made it okay. I don't know about that, but it was one of the early forerunners that kind of took itself seriously. It was like three or four years before X-Men. Yeah, yeah. And everybody always says, oh, well, X-Men's where it all began. No, no, my friends, I think not. No, oh, no. The, the seeds of of taking superheroes kind of seriously have been were were sown long, long ago. I, I think Blade's the first one that really capitalized on it and made it a thing and made it good. You know, I, I think it would be a bigger movie now. I think it was ahead of its oh, time totally. in a weird way. Totally. You know, but it, I it, it 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 still made all the money. I know. I know it made a lot. Well, of money. actually, you know what's interesting? That movie holds up something rotten. There's not a single aspect of that movie that makes you go, "Oh, well, that that was shot 20 years ago." Was it shot 20 years ago? It was. I think it was 98, if I remember correctly. Oh, gosh. Now we not need to do some old man yeah, math. Yeah, doing some Googling. Hold on. Oh, 98. Oh. Did I nail it? Yeah. I nailed, nailed it. it. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that makes my old man hurt. Oh. Yeah, 20 years ago, man. 20 years ago. So that would make it three years before uh, X-Men came out. Oh, I love how people are like, you know, Black Panther was the first superhero movie with a, a black lead, and it was like, no, no, 
No. no Blade, <laughs> the, the movie that kicked it all off was the one. And it's funny because everybody's like, oh, look, Deadpool, is, or, uh, Deadpool and Logan are making it okay to love a rated R superhero movie. Uh, hey, guys, Blade came out 20 years ago and it was rated R. And it was a superhero movie, and it was awesome. Yeah, I think people get it confused because, you know, Blade is a comic book character, but the movie itself is more of, like, the action horror genre. So I, I think I think that's why people kind of miss it when they think about comic book movies, because Blade doesn't fly around and shoot, like, I don't know, vampire blood energy out of his fists or whatever. It, it, it's, it's worth noting. It's worth noting. Blade... Definitely took itself kind of it. It kind of had that Marvel. It, it's actually like an early for, forerunner of like the Marvel movie formula in general because it takes itself seriously, but it's a little silly and it, it kind of sort of, you know what it is. Um, uh, me and my buddy were talking about this superhero movies in the past. A lot of them were almost kind of embarrassed to be superhero movies. And Blade was one of those movies that knew they looked at the tropes that were in the Blade comic and they grabbed onto them and they ran. Yeah. And that's yeah. and like the the early the Toby Spider-Man movies and the X-Men movies, those were the first kind of like real, real su- comic booky movies to do the same thing where they just grabbed onto it and ran. And it, it's it's kind of a thing that happened in the late 90s and the early 2000s because we were coming out of that weird like what they call the the 80s, you know, 90s, all sorts of pockets, iron age where people had guns and it was all kind of weird and grimdark and goofy. And out of that, this group of writers who were like writing Ultimate Spider-Man and all that in comic books at the time sort of grabbed on to like the core things that made like Spider-Man and comic books cool, but took the stuff that was from sort of the, the deconstructive 80s where they sort of took all the comic books apart to show how stupid they were and put guys with guns in their place and like ran with it. And so you had these really sort of more modern stories with, you know, like Peter kind of growing up and becoming like a substitute teacher in his old high school and, you know, dealing with a little bit more adult problems. But he was still freaking Spider-Man, you know, and it, it just worked. It was a good it was a good period in comics. And the movies kind of reflect that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like the, the, the good ones, the good forerunners. And, and Toby Spider-Man definitely did that. Blade definitely did that. It grabbed a hold of all of its, you know, tropes of like, yeah, I'm a dude who goes and hunts vampires. What? Because I don't think I'd call Blade like a super serious film because it would be like, uh, uh, what was the villain's name, Deacon? It is and it's not. I yeah, mean, that's, exactly. That's the thing that it does so brilliantly is it skirts that line between acknowledging that it's a comic book and being a serious movie perfectly. It just threads that needle. Because if you remember, even just from the intro, right? Like, first of all, can I just say that that is probably one of the best intros of all time to what, a superhero What, movie. Tracy it's Lord's Blood Rave? Yeah. <laughs> just amazing but remember he tosses that that blade that goes around and and you know decapitates a bunch of the vampires and then he gives that big old you know grin yeah yeah well that grin is like that's pure comic book right yeah that's not a serious moment at all but like yeah it's so brooding and yeah it was a really early forerunner of the marvel formula come to think of it that's weird yeah, it's more Marvel than anything that the the X-Men franchise put out with the exception of maybe Logan I'll have to watch Blade again. I think I think that necessitates a, a repeat viewing. Yeah, well, I mean, there's never a bad time for Blade. <laughs> and Blade 2. But God forbid, just Blade 3 no, doesn't exist. It never happened. It never, I've, ever happened. I've Do never, you hear me? I've never seen Blade 3, but I... I you don't know. It doesn't exist. That's why you haven't seen it. It was never made. Sadly, it was just does it, two Does it around the corner... Because I like bad movies. And is it like bad enough to be kind of entertaining in that bad way? No, no. It's like... How should I put this? Uh, remember, remember your your, your revulsion to uh, the Green Lantern movie. Uh, I never saw that one either. Yeah, well, let's say let's just say that Ryan Reynolds is uh, two out of three for ruining a good comic book movie. I don't lay the blame on Ryan Reynolds. Oh no, it's not just him. It's just that he happens to be in both of them. 
I don't know if that's necessarily his fault, but it is what it is. Should we go back to books? Should I finish up my books? Or, or? Yeah, finish out your books. I'm sorry. Just we needed to talk well, late. Oh, okay, well, well, we'll stay on the vampires thing. So uh, I, I've been like jonesing to play a game. And one day I was on my elliptical working out and, and getting really like, you know, alpha male, like working out thoughts, like nerd thoughts. And so I'm like, yeah, I should run a new game. And uh, and I was like, do I run, want to run the Dracula dossier again? Nah, no. You know what I'll do? I'll do my original idea for for Knights Black Agents, and I will try to reclaim Life Force and make it a, make it a good game. And uh, so, and then and then it led me to starting to reread the Space Vampires, which is the book Life Force is based off of. And uh, yeah, that book holds up less well than I remembered it holding up not well at all. Oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's kind of bad. It's kind of bad. But yeah, I had a good time with that. So if you ever want to read a interesting vampire novel or see an interesting vampire film, uh, the film version is called Life Force. It's a movie that can't decide what it wants to do. So it decides to be a space horror movie, a vampire movie, and a zombie is apocalypse. Is that the one with the blue light that comes out of their, their mouths? Yes. That movie creeped me out when I was a kid. You should watch it now. It's really bad. Like, Good, bad, or yes, or, yes. Oh God, oh God, why bad? No, no. It's kind of like it, it's kind of oh God. Like, how did this get filmed? But you just can't. It's the polished turd because they spent a lot of money on it, and it's terrible. But like the soundtrack, yeah, that showed amazing. up in a uh, uh, movies that deserve to be cult movies, but aren't considered cult movies list that I saw the other day. Yeah, Life Force is pretty good for that, and uh, the book version is called The Space Vampires or just Life Force because they don't they get it. like sucked dry and they look kind of mummy mummyish if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, because they don't suck blood; they suck out the life force. <laughs> yeah, I remember that movie creeped me out something rotten when I was a kid. Jonathan. You're gonna be so embarrassed if you watch that movie again. I I I, I wish I still lived near you. I have that on DVD because it's just that awful. <laughs> I, I I enjoy watching it every so often, but yeah, it's it's a terrible movie. It's an awful bad movie. It's like me when I was a kid. I caught Evil Dead two, and it terrified me. And then I watched it and realized it was a comedy, and was so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> and Life Force isn't a comedy, but it might as well be. <laughs> Could you consider it a comedy of errors? Yeah, yeah. But the soundtrack's awesome by Henry Mancini. It's so good. Like everything in that movie is so good, and it's like made with such passion, and it's just a pile of crap and and it's like how did people get this invested in a pile of crap including patrick stewart he's in it what he is yes i always freak out when i see patrick stewart in dune it's like my brain doesn't want to remember that he was there and every time i'm like oh look it's patrick stewart yeah and you could tell that he's younger because his hair isn't white it's gray yes yes (laughs) so yeah life force Definitely don't watch it if you don't like bad movies. It's a terrible movie. I, I can't. But you know, it. I love a good bad movie. It's it's a really good bad movie. It is it is probably it's probably one of the better bad movies out there because it's it's so obvious that they spent so much money on it and it's just so bad and unredeemingly bad. And you're like, how did people spend this much money on this movie without knowing better? So there you go. Those are my books. Which again, we veered off into vampire movies talking about books. Well, that's okay. We might as well just stick with movies. Unfortunately, I didn't get any reading done this week. But tell me about some movies. I, I see you watched Baywatch, and in fact, you and I, you and I texted about Baywatch. <laughs> speaking of speaking of bad movies, speaking of bad movies, Baywatch. <sighs> Baywatch has its. Moment. It looked terrible. It is terrible. It, it looked abominable. It it is really bad. However, 
Uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, like I don't know what kind of like voodoo curse or voodoo magic. Or I, I'm assuming it's it's some oh, sort of you, curse. You could watch him paint a wall. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fat. Like he when he he's just riveting when he's on. I can't you can't stop watching him. He's he's just like oh hey. You're, yeah, you're, I realized that when I was watching Jumanji and GI Joe, I'm like, there is no reason for me to be nearly as engaged as I am. I can't stop. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson's name is Mitch McCannon. Like yeah, he's Irish. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Totally makes I'll sense. I'll allow it. Yeah. It's it's Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. I, yeah. That why why am I even questioning this? And then he's off, he's off camera for a pretty big chunk of the movie and it, it really lets you sit back and appreciate like just how much magic that man has that he brings to the table. It's it's quite incredible. But yeah, no, he's there's some good moments. He gets like poisoned and he gets starts acting really loopy in this one part and he does this weird monologue about how how he's Poseidon and it's it's it, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. That that's near the finale, and it's so worth it. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty bad movie. But if it's on Amazon right now, if you, if you're in the mood to have a movie that you really don't have to pay that much attention to, it's a good one for that. All right, and then it looks like what else do we got here? I finally bought the Last Jedi and watched it again. Yes. Okay. So after multiple viewings, what did you think? Okay, multiple. I've had two. I've had two. I still, you know, I, my opinion of it hasn't really changed all that much. I didn't like the parts I didn't like about it, and I liked the parts that I liked about it, but I took your advice, and I paid a lot more attention to the third act, and yeah, it's, I don't know, my opinion didn't really change on it. Like, I, I liked it better. Like, it's, it, before, I, I wasn't terribly sure if I liked it or not. Now, it's definitely, it's it's maybe not the best Star Wars movie, but it's a really good one. And wait till you get to the fourth or fifth. Every time I watch that movie, I unpack it a little more. There's just so much there. Again, I I love that movie just purely on how much people either love it or hate it. Like it, it's a good movie just because people either loathe it or love it, and and there's nothing in between. And and to to have that much passion about the eighth Star Wars, no, technically ninth Star Wars film at this point. Yeah, like, it actually has to be a pretty decent movie to get people to actually feel about that franchise again, you know? Yeah, I just, I I love it because it's not traditional, and that's exactly what it needed to be. It needed to push the boundaries, and it did, in every way, and all the right ways, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Yeah, it's got a weird message, because, like, the whole tone of the movie is very much, like, forget the past... Which is interesting considering its structure. Yeah, but that's the whole theme of the movie. Like, the theme of the movie is forget your past, and at the finale... When people have to respond to that, interestingly, the villain decides to forget the past because he smashes his stupid face mask. He kills all his leadership. He's like, dude, like, I'm going to take over the galaxy and make it better. Like, like, this isn't the Empire. This is going to be something new and awesome. And then the hero decides, like, no, I kind of like the past. I'm going to take those books and I'm going to reject your thesis statement. I'm going to go start, you know, I don't know if I'm going to full Jedi, but I'm going to go save the rebellion. And it's, I, I'm like, what is this movie saying? Because, like, the whole thesis of the film is reject the past and grow beyond it and then the main character doesn't <laughs> and, I, and i'm like yeah. that's so bizarre <laughs> what is that I trying love to it. say i love it i think it's great yeah yeah no i yeah yeah so it's a fascinating movie at the very least and and for a star for the ninth star wars film 10th if you count the christmas special to uh to be, <laughs> nobody counts the christmas special <laughs> to be fascinating and and like to go like what what's the point of all this i i although i do think it's funny then in the trailer for Solo, there's now, like, Chewbacca hugging another Wookiee, which makes me wonder if it's not just really just the informal return of Chewbacca's wife. Yes. Yes. I still need to see that. But, yeah. What, the Christmas special or Solo? Solo. 
So. It's not out yet. Oh, well, there you go. I'm no longer culturally relevant. I, I'm no longer 35 years old, so I, I don't know anything is anything anymore. So that's just what happens, Jonathan. Oh, trust me, I'm I'm well aware. The only reason I know is because I was looking at tickets online today. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I also finally saw Black Panther. Yes. And so we were talking about it. And I'm going to preface this. It's a very good movie. I like it a lot. However, uh, I had way too many people say it was like the best superhero movie ever to me. So I walked into it. It's not. And I never said that to you. I had a few did. And so I walked into it with very high expectations and it did not meet them. So I need to like watch it. I'm I'm, going to take a break from it for a week and I'm going to watch it again. And, you know, because now I can walk into it not expecting anything and, and kind of oddly having lowered expectations because it did not live up to my lofty expectations. So I can give it a better viewing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I, I realized I realized what its problem was. Um, I didn't like the villain because his motivation was weird and ill-defined. And it's a very common problem in the first superhero movie of, of a particular character because they have to introduce, you know, like the world and the villain and the plot and all of that in the space of, you know, two hours. And like, you know, I, I thought the first Toby X, uh, Spider-Man movie was a mess. Because, yeah, for the same reasons, I thought the first X-Men movie, honestly, was a mess. Um, but then their sequels, where they didn't have to deal with that crap, and they could really drill down into stuff, were much better. And Black Panther kind of, like, got a cheat, because, like, 25% of that, like, world-building stuff, it did in Captain America Civil War. And so, <laughs> the Wakandan cast of, of the royal family and all that, they got a chance to kind of drill down into them a little bit, like, you know, like what you would do in a sequel. And it was really good because that, like, that part of it was was very, very well done. Because again, they got to do some of that in Civil War, so they got to, you know, skip the the world building part. Um, but yeah, the the villain, I'm not too sure. I I got like I, I got what he was about, but it just it it they just didn't have enough time for him, which is see, I re- I really liked Killmonger, and yes, I agree with you. I would have liked to have had them spend a little more time with Killmonger as well. I think that's a, a fair statement. Uh, although to be fair, also that that movie is extremely taut, and I don't know where they'd get the time. No, you know? no without making it a three-hour movie, yeah, yeah. But that, that that being said, I I thought Killmonger was very interesting and very well executed, and I thought he was extremely relatable, which is not something that everybody remembers to do uh, with uh, villains. Yeah, because really the best villains are the ones that you can relate to, and you know what, his story is is just so sad i just wish they'd spend a little more time exploring the the problem is for me the i I agree with you he's relatable but he didn't become relatable until like the last 15 minutes of the movie well exactly the the scene where they explain his past needed to come earlier there was no reason to hide it there's no big reveal the reveal does nothing you know the, the reveal is 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 an unnecessary uh aha moment if you will you don't need to you don't you're not making an m night movie you are making a a superhero movie and you need to make the villain completely relatable and in fact i i think that villains are the weakest part of the current marvel cinematic universe because they're all ultimately forgettable which is why spider-man homecoming was good actually yeah, no, Spider-Man Homecoming is the only villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I would say, yeah, you know what, totally understand where he was coming from, totally understand why he did it, and in fact, I kind of agree with a little bit with what he did, even if he went about it the wrong way. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You got a guy like Andy Serkis in a villain, and then you just completely, completely waste him uh, in, in a silly way. And you've got, um, you know, Michael Jordan, who's an excellent, excellent actor, 
and he gets completely wasted in a silly way. It's just, it, it, it feels like there could have been more. Now, that, that being said, Killmonger was definitely among the better Marvel villains. I just feel like, like you do, I, I think that your, your, critis, uh, your criticism is quite valid in that respect. Yeah, so. Yeah, and there are some beautiful sequences and the world building of Wakanda itself because, you know, we never get really a chance to see Wakanda in the previous movies. We just we just understand their culture a bit. But the the, the place of Wakanda and, and the, the broader way that they approach the world is just genuinely interesting. Agreed. And what a cast. Yes. Well, I, I, I think it goes to show, just like it's... My daughter loves The Last Jedi because there's a girl who's a Jedi and she wants to be a Jedi from that. Like, representation matters. And when Black Panther started getting made, I, I have come to find out that uh, just owning my comic book shop and all that, that the the sort of, uh, how did, uh, like how Neil deGrasse Tyson, he, he called himself when he was growing up a, a blurred, a black nerd. And uh, there are a lot of, of you know, African-American people who love comic books, but, you know, they they don't have a lot of comic book characters that look like them. And... I, I think what you're seeing in that cast is there are quite a few, you know, blurs out there who heard Black Panther was a thing and are like, yeah, yeah, and they just like lined up. They're like, yes, so we will be in this movie. I don't care. Put me anything. <laughs> and yeah, so they got a fantastic cast to do, you know, s- s- some of the smaller parts because Angela Bassett even wasn't on screen for all that long. No, no, and and she was amazing in every scene she was in. I, I love how they handled the the. Uh, his father too, T'Challa's father, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and you know he thought he was doing the right thing, and he inadvertently created a monster. Yeah, which is what happens. You make choices, and they come back. Which the villain arc was good. It's just they they didn't give him enough time to kind of get it. Yeah, agreed. and like the last ten minutes or so is is really when I felt like I got him. And it's like, I should have gotten him way earlier, guys. Like, way oh, earlier. Oh, man, let me tell you, though. When he is just... When he starts talking about what to do with his body... Whoo! Yeah. No, it's, it's... That was intense. It's awful. It's awful, you know? But that... I mean, like, that. that is just... That's, it's one of the main reasons why I really like him as a villain. And it all comes from that scene. And you're right. It makes you wish that they had spent a little more time with that scene. Mm-hmm. Or, or introduced some of that stuff earlier, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So... Also, also, I, I, I mentioned uh, Legacy of Shadows like Steven Universe. Uh, I just got I, I just got to give props to them. I'm, I'm still watching that show. I, I buy it because I like giving them money. Yeah, with three kids, I, I don't have a ton of money to give, man, but I give them my money <laughs> because it's Steven Universe. <laughs> if you have not watched it yet, like shame on you, Jonathan, you should. It's it's a fantastic show. R- remind me. Remind me this. week. Yeah, yeah. Do you have the Hulu on on your on your streaming list? Yeah, I've got the Hulu. I've got Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon Prime. I, I, it was on Hulu last time I checked. Now I haven't had Hulu in better part of six months because I've been. I, we switched to Stars for a while to get caught up on some other stuff. But yeah, like the first three seasons or so, three or four are on. We're on Hulu last time I checked, and it's it's a fantastic show. And what's amazing about that show is they do such a good job of like they have a really they have really good world building, like fantastically good world building. And when they finally reveal secrets of the setting, it makes perfect sense because they've been, you've been existing in the world where this thing is a reality this whole time. And you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, no, like I could see this. Like they didn't show me until now, but like, yeah, A to B to C to D. And here we are, you know, and, and it's, it's everything. And what's also really good about it is the main character of Steven, you know, at the beginning of the show, he's like a real little kid and he's really goofy and he's just doing stupid little kid things. But the whole show is about him growing up and 
the the last episode they were kind of talking about that you know about how uh spoiler alert i apologize but um one of the characters uh, her name's garnet she can see the future and but she sees like every possible future and so steven had been doing a lot of things that have been throwing her off and she was trying to figure out why and what she realized is when she thinks about Stephen doing things, she used to think, of, or she's used to thinking about him as a little kid and not taking responsibility, but running from it, which is something he did early on in the series. But she said, "You're not like that anymore. You've grown up. You're taking responsibility for your actions, and that's why you're throwing me off because you've changed, and you've, you're growing up, and I have to account for that, and that's why I've been failing you." And it's, it's, you know, and like that's what's been happening in the show for five seasons now. Is it slowly him? being more assertive and doing things to handle his own business. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a fantastic show. And this, the last two episodes, they just, they, they dropped the bomb. Like they, <laughs> they revealed something that makes sense when you think about it, but it like changed the game dog. Anyway, you should watch it. That's it. I will. I will. I had a chance to watch a movie and also I had a chance to watch, uh, uh, well, start watching, I should say a new TV show. So, uh, I don't know if it's new or not, but it's new to me. I started watching Frankenstein Chronicles on Netflix. Nice. And Sean Bean is the star, so hopefully that means he survives. <laughs> Ouch. No, of course he won't. Nah, probably not. It is very interesting. Every time I see Sean Bean, I'm like, oh, look at Sean Bean. And then I, I watch the movie and I'm like, wow, I forgot what a great actor he is. Because he just does such a good job of blending into the scene. But as it turns out, he can actually carry something as well. He's very, very good in this mo- uh, in this show. Uh, additionally, I started watching. Um, I watched a movie called Hostiles uh, with Christian Bale and Ben Foster and uh, Rosamund Pike. I've never heard of this movie. It's a, it's a western, and oh wow! Um, Wh- if your whoa, parent, whoa, whoa, whoa! This movie came out last year, and I have absolutely no comprehension of it. So let, let me just tell you right now, if you're a parent, I'm cautioning you now, know that this is going to be very emotionally taxing to you. That movie starts off with an emotional gooch punch and then follows up with a roundhouse kick to the emotional face. And that's in the first 15 minutes. Nice. It is intense. Absolutely intense. Very, very well put together movie. Wes Studi is in it. Um, he plays a, a chief with, uh, I, I believe he has cancer, and he is amazing in it. Um, you know, trying to keep his stoicism and his dignity in a really bad situation, and he, he does it. He carries it. Christian Bale is amazing as always. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the guy that always shines out of the, the rough is Ben Foster. Like, every movie that I see with him in it, he manages to stand out from the rest of the cast, even though he's always in, in a supporting role. He's like the most undervalued support actor I can think of. If you like westerns, it's quite good. And if you like dramas, it's quite good. I, I just warn you, as a parent, it's rough. And that's about it for movies and TV for me. I'm just amazed I, I've never I've never even heard of that movie before until you talked about it today. And that, my friends, my younger friends out there, is what it's like to no longer be culturally relevant. You hear about things, and you're like, this has been a thing? And it's like, oh yeah, it's been a thing for a while. You just didn't hear about it. I'll be talking about that very soon. <laughs>
Well, that's it for movies and TVs for me. You ready to do some uh, video games? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. I'm looking at your list, actually. Tell me about Fortnite. I, I almost well, started playing it. I almost <laughs> as I hinted at, it. let's talk about not being culturally relevant, shall we? Okay, let's let's go there. Uh, Fortnite's been out for quite a while now, a couple months. Yeah. I just sat down and played it for the first time the other day, and I don't know why I didn't. Um, you know how you got addicted to Overwatch? Yeah. This is better. Are you, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, back up. Are you playing this on the PS4? No, unfortunately not. I'm playing it on the Xbox and on the PC. Could you play it on the PS4? Uh, I can play it on the PC with somebody on the PS4. What? Yeah. I don't get how that works, but whatever. Okay. Dark, dark magic. Dark, dark magic. Yeah, I... Uh, okay, so I, I downloaded that game, and I was installing it, and I wanted to play it, and it's like, go make an account uh, with us to get stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to do that right now. I, I just want to play the game. And, uh, and then it goes like, if you don't make an account, you'll never be able to link your account again. And I'm like, well, fine. I just won't play the game then. And I deleted it <laughs> out of spite. Wow. But, you know, no, it's quite good. It but if, if, quite you're, quite if you're good. saying it's good and I should take the time to do that and that you'll play with me. You remember I, how I'll bored I got with Overwatch uh, and, and how it kind of lost me? Yeah, you've talked about it before. Yeah, this isn't going to lose me. It's really good. You know, I will take your word for it. I, I want to play it with no expectations. So tell me nothing. It, do, you, do you have something to say? I'll plug my ears and say la, 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 la. No, I just, I really like it. I like the way it works. I like everything about it. I think it's very clever. Um, it is super fun and super easy to play. And I'm having a great time. I like it. I will I will run down there and install it tonight. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And I'm playing through it on the... Uh, like I said, I've got it on the Xbox, but there's a, I've got the PC version as well. And what's nice is it links up all my stats and stuff, so I only have to make my character the one time. Hmm, nice. Uh, okay, and then other, other than that, I did get a chance to play a little bit more Sea of Thieves, which we've talked about before. And uh, guess what? It's kind of awesome. So how does that game work? Okay, so basically you start off on a sloop, and you get to... Well, you get to choose from either... Uh, you get to choose from either um, a two-person sloop or a four-person, four to six-person galleon, right? And that's how big your party is, essentially. And you basically are—you have nothing. You have no idea what you're doing. You're just dropped into the world, and you kind of start to figure out the mechanics and whatnot. And it's a giant open-world pirate game. And there's not a ton to do. Uh, it's reasonably simplistic, but as a co-op adventure, it is amazing. And then when you put into it the, the, the fact that you can work together to, to operate the ships and work together to figure things out, and there's all kinds of little you know, hidden things that they put in. It's fantastic. I'm having an absolute great time. It's a shame it's an Xbox exclusive. Well, I've, been th- I, I've been thinking PC about it. PC as well. I, I've been, well, I don't have a, I, we're a Mac family, sir. <laughs> yeah, I used to be. Now it's PC Master Race for the win. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. No comment. But, um... Now I've been thinking about getting an Xbox, but because um, PlayStation's just pissing me off because they don't let games do mods, and they're doing full modding support on Xbox. You know, with like City Skylines and some of those games, and I, it just I just want that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I hate to say it, I love my PlayStation, and I especially love the exclusives. But the Xbox is the more community oriented platform, and it is where. The majority of my friends, for whatever reason, have migrated for their multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was thinking about getting a PS Pro at some point. I mean, not anytime soon, but I was like, maybe I should an just Xbox? get an, an Xbox. What, One S? Is that the, the super fancy yeah, I think one? So. You said PS Pro. 
Well, I was thinking about getting a PS Pro, but instead of that, just keep my PS and get an Xbox One S to take advantage of my 4K screen, I guess. But I, that's kind of far off. That's just kind of 2019 th- Robert thinking. But yeah, that's that's what I've been thinking about. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, I like both of those games. They're really, really quite good. Uh, one's definitely co-op, and the other one is definitely not. Nice. Cool, cool, cool. So wait, is Fortnite, is it just... Okay, okay, sorry. I said I didn't want to hear about it, but now I want to. So it's Battle Royale. Is that, what, is that the format they call it? Yeah, essentially, essentially. So is it just you versus And then there's a couple everybody? different things. You can do solo where 100 people get dropped into a map and you all battle it out until one stands. You can do 50 versus 50. You can do squads with, of, like, I think it's four to six, or you can do duos, which is just two, two-man teams. Hot. There's a lot of different options. You know, the rumor has it that Blizzard is going to make an Overwatch version of that, and they're going to announce it at BlizzCon. I've heard that a couple of places. Well, it's going to have to do something particularly special to unseat this because this, you know, it's from Epic Epic Games, dude. Dude, who Blizzard did Gears of War and stuff like that, and this thing is so slick and it runs so well. It, I mean, honestly, if you had not told me that it was Epic, I would have thought it was a Blizzard product. It's that kind of good. Uh, Blizzard is really good at figuring out what is in a game genre that makes it sort of not easy to play and removing that and making it very accessible. And they're very, very good at that. And I I will point you at the difference between League of Legends and uh, Heroes of the Storm. Because in in League of Legends, there is this whole pregame where you're leveling up and buying gear for your your guy. And it's a good 30-odd minute process where you're you're getting to the point where you can actually start playing the game. And, you know, uh, 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 Heroes of the Storm just skips all that. (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're like no let's just get to the point where you're trying to murder each other and play the game and not worry so much about you know that pre-game stuff because that that's one of the things that keeps it from being accessible because if you don't know how to build your character it's very hard to play that game you know what i mean yeah so, absolutely so we'll see we'll and, see and whatever. the other thing that i i've heard uh um, heroes of the storm does better is it's it's a co-op full co-op experience versus league of legends which has a definite um pvp uh, angle to it yeah yeah so uh, anyway j- just saying that we'll see i like i said that's i, I think that's kind of the, the rumor uh like the pipe dream rumor but we'll see we'll see what happens at blizzcon it'll be fascinating to watch so i speaking of destiny i i'm continuing to play destiny they released a new expansion a new mini expansion and uh yeah i can't decide if i'm hate playing that game or not because like if i, I think feel like about- you are every time i talk to you about it you're never like you're never excited see that's the thing like when i think about that game when i'm not playing it i get mad you know and i start thinking about the game's shortcomings and how it's disappointed me and how i how i like i can't believe i'm still playing this game i'm just playing it because i spent money on it and damn it i'm gonna get my money's worth because that's just the way i am then when i'm playing it i I have a fine time i i am enjoying myself i'm shooting things i'm doing all the grindiness i'm doing the very things that i complain about when i'm thinking about it not playing it and i'm having a, a great time doing those things but yeah it's 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 always a but when you talk about it that's the thing well no but that's the thing when i when i play it i'm having a great time but when i'm not playing it i'm like mad at it and and i don't know how to resolve those feelings because like like all of that that like gamer hatred just evaporates the second i log into it and i I have fun and like uh, i a few of my friends are playing it uh shout out brandon he listens to the podcast and we've been playing we've been playing that game a bit together and yeah we're having a good time we're like yeah this is fun, and and we're gonna play Overwatch next week because the new event starts, and and he's getting a little bored of Destiny, and I'm like, okay, 
Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is about Destiny if I'm hate playing it. But you know what? It's uh, that's no longer my problem because uh, the next expansion I'm not going to buy when it's new because I'm going to get Dragon Quest Eleven, and that will be my September gaming stuff, and I won't have time for anything else. So I'll probably end up getting. I'll probably end up getting uh, uh, the Destiny expansion probably during Christmas, like during a winter sale or something. So, yeah, I don't know. Destiny. It's weird. Yeah, we'll I just, it, it didn't, it held my attention for like 20 minutes and then I was done. And once I was it, done, I was really done. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm interested to see how, how long Fortnite keeps you because you, you've said that before and then you get bored. So, <laughs> we will see, Jonathan. I don't know. I played an obscene amount of it in the last 48 hours since I discovered it. Like, I, I fully admit that I have a problem. I installed it on my PC so I can play it with my son, too, and I think that's really going to make a difference because he really likes it. And so he can play on the Xbox, I'll play on the PC, and we can play together, and that's really cool. That is really cool. All right, Jonathan, it's time. I'm, I'm, I'm fishing for the list right now, so I think it's time. All right, well, first of all, <coughs> it's time to uh, start removing some things because I've been a-playing. Well, uh, my family continues to play Century Silk Road. We're still having a great time with it. Um, it has, at this point, completely fired Splendor. You know, nothing against Splendor. I think it's just, it's a little bit deeper. Plus, it's also got that new hotness still to it. Because nice. I still play the Splendor app a fair amount. And I love the Splendor app. Yeah, Century Silk Road is, is really quite good. I'm I'm consistently surprised as to to just how how deep it is and some of the cool stuff that's in it. Now, I will tell you this much. There is a certain luck aspect to it uh, that's certainly present with Splendor as well. But in this one, it's a little more evident uh, because, unfortunately, depending on how you get stuff, one person might end up with all these cards that let you make uh, make resources without having to trade them. Mm-hmm. And, and that it can create a game state where somebody can kind of run away with it. Now, mind you, that has to the, the exact right stuff has to happen at the exact right time all the time, if that makes sense. That makes sense. That being said, I've seen it more than once, so it, it, it does happen. I think Splendor handles that a little bit better because you can do the um, uh, you can basically pull the cards and hold them until you can afford to buy them which lets you remove resources from the board that you might not be able to afford, but also prevents your, uh, your, the other players from getting it. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think that's one thing Splendor does that, that Century Silk Road does not. And I don't know that it would work within Century Silk Road the way it's designed, but I will say that it, it helps to mitigate the luck factor somewhat, and I, I'm definitely noticing that. First thing we're going to take off the list is Rivals. This might be the most adorable tactical war game I've ever played. Oh, Rivals Masters of the Deep. Okay. Yes. Uh, it's got great character design. It's got great art. Uh, the map is basically a hex uh, grid that you lay out every time, so the map's going to be a little bit different every time. Uh, some of these squares have movement restrictions because they are made of coral or rocks, etc. Um, there's a swimming component to it that lets you uh, move up to rocks and whatnot. And if you, um, if you do that, you have to spend an action to, to land from your swim back on the bottom. So you can move a little bit more than you normally would, but it comes at a a, um, a risk, if you will. Okay. Beyond that, it's a pretty standard tactical war game. There's, there's no big surprises. There are some very nice mechanics involved. There's a great mechanic in that everything is card-based. Okay. And so you get an opportunity to manufacture a deck for yourself. 
And that's where a lot of the customization comes in. And that's where you're going to get a lot of the variety in the game, uh, playing it more than once. And the, I, I saw the miniature of the whale guy, and it was super cute. Whaley, you did? Yeah. <laughs> With any tactical war game, it's going to be a matter of playing it more than once to learn its quirks and idiosyncrasies to, to, to kind of get better and to master it somewhat. So I am definitely not at that stage yet. It looks super cute. It is adorable. It is absolutely adorable. All right. What else did you take off the list, sir? All right. Next up off of the list is The Thing. Is this The Thing something Station 31? Yeah. The Thing uh, Infection at Outpost 31. And that's all I'm going to say about it right now because that is, of course, our deep dive for the episode. So I'm going to keep that kind of in my pocket. I will just say this. We all had a blast and it's hugely thematic very very well implemented it feels considerably like the movie in all the right ways nice uh next up is uh, firefly adventures i played firefly adventures how is that that is a neat little co-op game that takes place in the firefly universe it also feels very much like it's licensed in in very very good ways uh unfortunately the the rule book is a little tough to consume makes sense so that kind of hurts it a bit because it's um i don't know what can i say it's just it, the the rule book is tough to consume and it kind of gets in the way of the enjoyment of the um of the game at, at at some point now once you figure it out and once you figure out what they're trying to tell you the game itself is actually very very well designed i just think that they should have rearranged the rule book a bit more to kind of parse information out in in a slightly more in a, in a way that matches play a bit better and also kind of gives you an opportunity to learn things in a, in a slightly different order i just i guess that's really what it comes down to all the rules are in there they're just ordered in a funky way now one of the cool things that it does and this is really neat is um everything is packed in the box and the box itself it then becomes a prop that you use once you put the tiles out so it's got tiles kind of like zombicide yeah yeah I, I saw this you sent me a picture of it and like all the individual components look like you know houses and cargo containers and stuff so yeah exactly it's got built-in exactly. scenery which is very a class and, act. and the box bottom is a big giant warehouse of built-in scenery and it all lays right down on the uh, on the, the the map boards, and it's really quite neat. It's it's incredibly clever. I, I really like that. And the minis are really nice too. It's got this great mechanic where um, when you're not noticed, you are casual, and you put out a uh, gray mini. And when you are no, and you have one set of uh, basically actions that you can take. And when you get noticed, you become heroic, and you flip your player card over, which gives you different actions. And you swap out the mini for a heroic pose. <laughs> That's cute. It's really clever. It's really really thematic. It really works. Nice. Nice. I like it. And that's about it. That's, a, that's all we've had a chance to play. They're kind of a slow two weeks. All right. Did you get any games in the uh, the mail or go to the shopping? Nothing. One? Nothing. All right. All right. I will uh, close the list up for another week. All righty. And that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment. <laughs> we will be right back after a short break with the wisdom of crowds which is of course our news segment so we will see you in just a moment do you have a tabletop board game miniature game or rpg that you're going to release for retail or do you have an upcoming tabletop kickstarter that you're about to launch 
We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back. It is now, of course, time for our segment, Wisdom of Crowds, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And lots of good news. We're definitely in the thick of it now after that little bit of shortage. And let's go ahead and get started with what I think might be some of the prettiest cover art I've ever seen, because I saw a picture of this cover. Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes. Speaking of that, the alternate cover, the alternate cover had a production issue. And a lot of them are arriving scratched and scuffed and generally looking terrible. Wizards has ordered an emergency reprinting to take care of that. However, what it probably means to you and me is two things. One, con. There's not going to be as many of the cool, awesome, you know, alternate cover art books at first. But pro, there's going to be a second wave. So if you miss getting it, you have another chance, which is... It's a good thing, I guess, if you, especially if you just don't have time to get to the game store, like, right the heck now. Yeah, I know. That disappeared off shelves super quick. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you didn't get, get the alternate art cover, don't despair. There's another print run coming. Hopefully you can get another crack at it, and hopefully you'll find it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I need to go pick up that book. It's got, it's got gifts in it and a whole bunch of, like, alternate races. And I need you to get it just for the gifts. <laughs> I'm just letting you know right now. Now, now, now to, to, to make the, the chocolate and the peanut butter, remember our talk of Neogi? Yes. Gifts are from the same campaign setting, so if you play with one, you kind of have to play with the other. Is it worth? Yes, I'm going to allow it. <laughs> Anything from my gifts. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, do, have you seen this? Have you seen the next one? Oh, yeah, I have, actually, and it's really, it's a neat idea. So WizKids is bringing us a deluxe upgrade kit to betrayal on the house on the hill so what you get is it replaces the character sheets with those those little tabs and you get fancy character sheets with little spinners on them which look really good and you get a new set of deluxe dice that look kind of green and marbly with yellow numbers so it basically scythes it out yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, the the component, especially the the character sheets. I, I actually downloaded an app to deal with that because I I hated <laughs> I hated those tabs. Uh, so yeah, when I play the game, I just play it with my phone now for my character. But yeah, no, this this is really nice. I'd, I'd much rather have a physical thing anyway. I like the tactileness of stuff. So I, I I will be picking this up and adding it to my box. I'm hoping I'm hoping that this is a, a taste of things to come of what we'll see in Betrayal Legacy because I'm hoping that's fancy. So yeah, if given if you, the current trend towards blinging stuff out, I think that that's a pretty good uh, estimation. <laughs> true, true. So yes, fourteen ninety five, new dice, new character sheets. Seems like a no brainer. I play that game enough. It, it yeah, that'll definitely get some use. Even now, years later, I still play that game. It's a good gateway game. It's a good gateway game. There you go. So Games Workshop has announced in June. So probably by the time you're hearing this, it'll be soon. Warhammer Age of Sigmar 2nd Edition is coming out in the month of June. So it looks like we're getting a new rulebook and a new General's Handbook? Yep, and they're, they're going to update all of the, the cards, or the, as they call them, the War Scrolls, in the app. And I'm not entirely surprised, because, you know, especially for a new game, uh, because say what you will about Age of Sigmar, the actual factual rule set is only three years old. A miniatures game getting a revision after only a few years is, is not... Is, that is not unheard of because, yeah, it, it becomes pretty clear what needs tweaking. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they evolve it because it was such a radical departure from the, the old Warhammer. 
So watching this one evolve is going to definitely be interesting. But it's going to launch with a new rulebook and a new general's handbook for the more deep uh, army building, I'm assuming. So, yeah, no, it looks good. It looks good. So, yeah, worth checking out. Uh, Like I said, it should be out pretty soon after the time that you hear this because they say June. I'm not sure when in June, but June. All right, Jonathan. So, as you know, I'm excited about the new Delta Green stuff, right? Yes. So the first adventure that I've been, like, waiting for forever, it seems like, uh, Impossible Landscapes. This is the back cover text of the book. Ah, okay. So, and I, I love it. I love it. It does everything I want to do. Fear is a fractal, and your world is a lie. A horror freed from a book reverberates through all reality, shaking things, reordering them, and making them run like wax. Doors open to endless Victorian hallways, and things stalk the shadows on clockwork limbs. They're cool metal searching for the warmth of blood and bone. Madness pursues you at every turn, baring its teeth to speak your name, and you can't escape because it's inside you. But don't despair. There is hope. A king waits for us, beyond the tumble-down facade of reality, through the twists and tunnels of the human imagination, past the edge of everything sane, in the country of Carcosa, the land all madmen go. There, and only there, is the answer to everything. The last answer. Impossible Landscapes is the first campaign for the Delta Green role-playing game. Five operations against the horror that is the King in Yellow to test the mettle of even the most accomplished agents. Plus, new entities, new artifacts, new tomes, dozens of new NPCs, and rules for running surreal horror and more. I like it. I like it. I love it. I love it! Oh! <laughs> I can't wait for this book, Jonathan. Oh, I can't wait for this book. I want it so bad. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if any of that sounds intriguing to you, uh, pick up the Delta Green role-playing game, the, uh, the handler's book or the GM's guide for uh, its version of it, I guess. Uh, that should be out really soon. Uh, I, last time they gave me an update on it, it, was, uh, it just hit, had hit Long Beach, so they're just waiting to get it at their warehouses to ship it out to the backers, and then it should hit all of you, probably for Gen Con. That would be my assumption. So, yep, yep, yep. It looks fun. It looks fun. And then you've got some magic news for the magic fans out there. Yeah, and, and for me, because I like plane shifts. So, uh, interestingly, I thought Dominaria was going to take place over three sets, but apparently it's not. Apparently I heard wrong. I don't know where I read that. Maybe I imagined it. But, so, Dominaria came out. It's a set. Uh, apparently, Core 2019 is going to be air quotes set in Dominaria, or at least have some more stuff for that. But Dominaria was a one and done. That's that's done now. Coming in fall is we're going back to Ravnica. So, we're going to get the Guilds of Ravnica in fall. Uh, we're going to get the Allegiances of Ravnica in early 2019, and we're going to get an unnamed third set later on that year, which means next up for the plane shifts is the Art of Ravnica, which means we'll finally get that too, which will be fun because I Ravnica is a really interesting setting, but they don't have like a book of lore about it. And because they're going back to that plane, guess what we're going to get? <laughs> so yeah, sometime I would assume in... The fall? Winter? We'll probably be doing Plane Shift uh, Ravnica, sir. I'm excited. There you go. There you go. Oh, wait, no, no. Oh, Ixalan was this year, right? Ixalan was this year. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, so it'll be early next year. Early next year, we'll be doing Plane Shift Ravnica. You and me, sir. I can't wait. I'll mark that on my calendar. Are you ready for some news bites? Yeah. Let's do it. All righty. Well, first up, uh, you've heard of Lost Cities, right? Yes. I'm picturing a box in my brain. Yes, there's there's a couple different Lost Cities games. There's um, Lost Cities, which is a card game, and then there's a Lost Cities board game. It's the same franchise, 
And now we're getting a third game, Lost Cities Rivals. And this is a two-player version of the, you know, basically the a, a Lost Cities game, which is interesting because that's what it started out with many moons ago, because the first Lost Cities was a two-player game. So yeah, it looks awesome. Uh, it looks very reminiscent to the original Lost Cities. I think it's borrowing some ideas from it. And uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see it. Really cool art in this one. All right, next up, a piece of news that's near and dear to my heart. Are you ready? Sure. Boba Fett is coming to Star Wars Legion. <laughs> That's all I get? Just a laugh? Um, uh, kind of over Boba Fett. Oh, stop it. Don't be one of them. <laughs> I, I, I kind of am. Uh, oh, you're part of the problem. No, okay, okay, okay. S- side note here. I liked Boba Fett when he was mysterious and cool because then I could fill in his stuff with my own headcanon, which was fun. But then when they explained him, it kind of ruined the magic for me, and I, I, I wasn't as into him anymore. That, that's, yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like Boba Fett. I have, I have I, when I was uh, in my early well, 20s. Take, take a look at the sculpt. Take a look at the sculpt I, of that. The sculpt figure. is really pretty. It is. Yeah, really it's pretty. great, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. You, you know what, sir? I, I've, I've heard it on good authority that uh, his backpack has jets. That's what I hear. That and is he, what I hear. And he's Boba the Fett. I heard he, uh, I heard he bounty hunts for Jabba the Hutt to finance his vet. Wiki, wiki, wiki. Oh, my. He chills in deep space. A mask is over my face while I deliver the prize. I still narrow my eyes because it's time to get, because my time I don't like to waste. Get down! Please send all complaints to Robert Lundgren. Okay, I forgot my dice. <laughs> I, I don't think so, Jonathan. So coming with Boba Fett to Star Wars Legion are um, new troopers for the Imperial side. Uh, we are getting scout troopers. Yeah, I saw that. Those are sweet. Yeah, those guys look awesome, too. Uh, it's five to a unit. No, six a unit. What I'm seeing. Seven. Seven to a unit. So just like a, just like the stormtroopers, seven to a unit. They look fantastic. Looks like seven unique sculpts, which is great. All right, next up. Wait, nothing for the Rebels? Not this time, but the Rebels got somebody last time. They got Princess Leia and Han Solo. They got the Rebel Commandos. So what do you want? I want more stuff for the Rebel scum. They're coming. They're coming. So we're getting a new Ticket to Ride game from Days of Wonder. What? Yes, Ticket to Ride New York. (laughs) (laughs) What is so funny? Uh, Playing every game of that with the worst Brooklyn accent I could possibly. Oh no, 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 no! You know what? We're we're, we're ending this news now. It's coming. That's all we need. <laughs> no, this is kind of interesting because there are different types of transportation. You can do taxis. There's, uh, you know, the standard destination stuff, but there's different kinds of transportation available in the city, and taxi seems to be the primary one. So it's kind of it's kind of neat. It's it's uh, changing up the formula just a bit. Oh, it's so good. And it's another one of those exclusively through Target games. Man, Target is bringing the heat. Yeah, no kidding. They really, really are. And then finally, and I'm going to go ahead and put this in the wouldn't have guessed it in a thousand years category. Simon is bringing out a licensed game, Narcos, the board game based on the Netflix original series. What the hell? You're right. Like, how do you guess this? You know, I'm going to take this into our annual uh, guessing episode because I feel like I'm going to make some crazy, crazy guesses now. Because <laughs> there's a chance. You know, maybe we should add that as a category. Like the most insane board game and or RPG tie-in that we could think of will happen in the next year. 
I don't know. I, I still I don't know that I would have gone for Narcos as that that particular category. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's a very specific thing. Something tells me it's a little inappropriate. It's because it has to be about cocaine smuggling. <laughs> you know, it's like do you drive it over? Do you drive it over the border? Do you fill it up with condoms and like have people swallow them? Have Ugh. you seen that show by the way? Narcos. No, no. I mean, a it's a great show, but whoa, whoa, <laughs> it's a little rough to watch at times. And here's the thing, it's Simon. It's gonna have minis. <laughs> well, in theory, remember they make a lot of games without minis. I know, but still, it's that's nuts. I love it. No, you know it's kind of neat. Simon, the, the, Simon. the guy who designed it, uh, Fel Barros, he made World um, Rise of Moloch, World of Smog, and I really like that game. Simon, Simon, I will tell you this right now. I, I did not see this coming. I don't know how it'll work, but you know what? If you make it work, if it's an awesome game, you are gonna nail something beautiful and bizarre and i i can't wait <laughs> i can't I'll wait it. i'll play anything though i i know you will so i i'm i'm fascinated i i we will follow this new story <laughs> and that's it for the news bites so some just some some narcos action to kind of close us out <laughs> nice wouldn't have guessed it in a million years man no no all right well that brings us to the end of uh you know hold up hold up you know what's funny magpie games they did a i believe it was powered by the apocalypse world uh game called cartel which was the same thing it was you were role-playing a drug cartel and smuggling drugs i'm like is there some sort of like is this is this more cultural irrelevance like is this a thing that we're just not seeing that that this is like somewhere stamped on the collective unconsciousness that we don't have privy to because we're over 35 i don't know Anybody who lists this that is below the age of 35 and thus still culturally relevant, can you please inform us, old men, about what, what it is we're missing in pop culture? Because I have a feeling we are. <laughs> that brings us to the end of our Wisdom of Crowd segment. And now it is time, once again, to dive deep into our time machine. One year ago, we talked about... Forgot My Dice, episode 19, the story of a storyteller. We interviewed the excellent and admirable... Michael Whitwer about his book, Empires of Imagination. You know what? Honestly, I, I owe that book a huge debt because it made me think about Gary Gygax in a very different way. And it gave me a lot of additional respect for for Dungeons and Dragons, which is not to say that I was lacking in any way, shape or form before. But I mean, honestly, like what an amazing tale. Uh, uh, what an amazing life Gary Gygax had. I, I don't know what to add to that. That book was great. <laughs> like, no, the book was phenomenal. It was very well written, very easy to follow, and I, I I loved how it broke up his life into, you know, these these manageable little uh, vignettes. It was a great book. I I passed that book around quite a bit around here too. So go go buy it. Go read it. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our wisdom of crowds segment. We'll be back shortly when we deep dive the thing. The thing. <laughs> We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by doing one of the following. You can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash fmdpodcast. We also have Facebook comments enabled for all our posts at forgotmydice.com. 
You can also message us or tweet us on Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us on Patreon, where we post outtakes and other bonus content. And if you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Store. Lastly, for those of you who want control to sanction the podcast, pick up your shoe phone and call Agent 82. Chief, it's acceptable to get podcasts on our wristwatches. It won't be distracting. I I just don't even know what's happening right now. Well, it's classified, Jonathan. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Oh, we've got to get these things upgraded from the 1960s. And welcome back from that break. It is now time, of course, for our deep dive. And today's deep dive, The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. It is the start of the bleak, desolate Antarctic winter when a group of NSF researchers manning the claustrophobic, isolated U.S. Outpost 31 comes into contact with a hostile extraterrestrial life form bent on assimilating Earth's native species. This being infiltrates the facility, creating a perfect imitation of one of Outpost 31's crew. The staff frantically begin to sweep, uh, begin a sweep of the base, desperate to purge this alien infection before escaping to warn McMurdo Station that somewhere out there in the frigid darkness, something horrible is waiting. In the Hidden Identity game, The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31, you will relive John Carpenter's sci-fi cult classic in a race to discover who among the team has been infected by the, this heinous life form. Play as one of the 12 characters as you lead a series of investigations through this facility using supplies and equipment to clear the building. The tension mounts and the paranoia ensues as you question who you can trust in this ultimate race to save humanity. All right, so let's get into it. The thing is just jaw-droppingly good. I'm just going to say it right off the bat. It's it's good. It's so good. So I'm assuming this is like Battlestar Galactica or something where you have a hidden traitor? Um, actually, I think it's a little bit closer to Dead of Winter. Uh, not, not just because of the hidden traitor mechanic, but because of uh, one of the core mechanics of the game in terms of giving up resources and supplies towards a common good. So, Jonathan, let's just pretend I've never played Dead of Winter. Is there another game that's like... <laughs> Oh, Robert. I guess Battlestar Galactica is all right. <laughs> okay. Yes, it is a hidden trader game, uh, very similar to Battlestar Galactica, but it definitely uses a, a, a different set of gameplay elements to separate itself from it. Right, right. Okay. But let me ask you this question before we even get going. Uh, does the, the does whoever is the thing know they're the thing at the beginning? Yes. Okay. So, in fact, that's one of the first things you do. After you set up the board and shuffle all the cards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you lay out, based on the number of players in the game, a number of human cards and a single imitation card. And basically, you have you are guaranteed to have one imitation at the beginning of the game. Ooh, guaranteed to have one. So there can be more. Yes. The infection can spread. Yes. One of the first things that you set up after determining who the uh, imitation is is what's called a blood sample deck because at a couple of key points in the game, you are going to have a chance to do a blood sample test. And what that does is when you do the blood sample, there are going to be the same number of um, cards for humans and for imitations and you deal them out again and there's an opportunity for a second player to become an imitation and sometimes even a third player to become an imitation. Neat. Okay. 
And you do that three times during the game. So the first time you do it, there's always a chance that the existing imitation ends up with the imitation card. And so maybe you still only have the one. It's a small chance, but it's a chance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then in the second and third times that you do that, there are um, it, it's going to start to get progressively more hairy as to whether or not uh, you are alone and you are a human or an imitation. So what's the... Yeah, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. All right, so let's talk about the the gameplay setup here. All right, so basically the way it works is you you lay out your board, you get everything ready. The map of the base is laid out into three sectors, and you start out in sector one. So in each sector, you're going to go on investigations. And what an investigation entails is that the first player marker denotes a captain, and that captain will draw a card off of an event deck. And that event card will basically tell you, hey... Uh, you need to send a team of X number of people, not always the number of players involved, sometimes it's less, and you need to send them to this room and you need to do an investigation. So when you go on these investigations, every player is going to have a handful of cards, and these cards are going to be different resources and tools, right? It could be wire cutters, it could be cabling, etc. Now, all the cards in this game are multi-use, so you're going to see a couple of different symbols and numbers on it. Um, and depending on the nature of the investigation, you might form a dice pool. And you'll use the numbers off of the card to, to see how many dice you add to that pool based on uh, cards that are submitted to the captain in the course of gameplay. Now, these cards, of course, are all going to be submitted to the captain and shuffled. And that means that there's some, some sabotage cards in there as well. So maybe the imitation will slip some sabotage in there because the imitation does not want to be found out and... There are a couple different ways that the imitation can win, and one of them is successfully preventing them from escaping. So every uh, the captain decides on a party. The party then goes to the room. The room will have specific requirements. Everybody will turn in one card. Everything will get shuffled. The captain will look at the cards, and it will be determined whether or not the investigation was successful. Now, if the investigation is successful, uh, the players get a token, and that token goes towards unlocking the next sector at the base. Pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. And that's where it's very similar to Dead of Winter, because Dead of Winter has a very similar mechanic, where everybody is uh, has resources of their own, and they're all pooling towards a common good. Now, when you unlock Sector 1, you do one of those blood tests, and that's when the assimilation can occur, and you can end up with more than one imitation. So generally, when you get to Sector 2, things start to get a little bit hairier. And then when you get to Sector 3, the same thing happens. So by the time you get to Sector 3, you may have as many as three different imitations at your table based on the number of players that you have at your table. What's the minimum players you need to start this game? Well, that's one of the key things that prevented me from playing it a little bit earlier than I intended because it... I'd assume four or more. It has a minimum player count of four and goes to eight. So it's four to eight players. Sorry, I'm I'm getting caught up looking at the game board because it's a map... Of the station. An accurate map of the station. Yes, very accurate from from my recollection. Here's the interesting thing. Everybody's going to play as a character from the film, and each of those characters does have an asymmetric power that they can apply towards gameplay. Sometimes it'll be taking additional supplies. Sometimes it'll be um, basically altering dice pool in a positive way, uh, giving an opportunity for a re-roll, re-roll on a dice check, things like that. Now, investigations can also result in combat because maybe you stumble across an imitation, and it's not in its full human form. So there are three different levels of the imitation based on uh, where you are in the kind of overall flow of the game, right? Mm-hmm. 
when you get an imitation, you go into a battle, and the battle's all dice-driven, and it's uh, uh, basically everybody puts in cards, forms up a dice pool based on numbers on these cards, and um, the captain will then roll it up, and they're looking for a specific number to beat the thing. That's the way the combat check works. Now, in terms of thematics, there's a couple different things that you can pick up in the course of gameplay that really do make it thematic. Like, um, you can pick up rope, during the game. And if you pick up rope, you can actually tie up somebody, which prevents them from going on a mission or prevents them from becoming the captain. So if you think you have one of the imitations nailed and you think you know who they are, you can actually prevent them from interacting with the game, which prevents them from sabotaging, which puts you one step closer, hopefully, to unlocking the third sector and finally making it to the chopper to uh, get rescued. <laughs> That's cute. It's like throwing me in the, in the brig. Now, another thing, of course, you can pick up is the flamethrower. And the flamethrower does exactly what you think it does. You can actually, at that point, do player elimination. Ooh. So do you get a new player if you've been eliminated, or...? No, you're out. But the flamethrower only comes into play in the third sector, so it's almost the end of the game. Okay. Well, that's good. If somebody kills you with the flamethrower, do you reveal if you are a replacement or not? Yes. For instance, in the last game I played of this, I revealed that Dale was, in fact, an imitation read him like a book (laughs) and i barbecued his alien buns until they were no more and he was out of the game and uh we only had one imitation left unfortunately us humans ended up losing that game because the imitation successfully snuck onto the chopper nice yeah absolutely okay so but yeah so when you die you you reveal both your cards because in the movie if if the flamethrowers got or if the things got barbecued they did not die like a, a person would no, you reveal your card and you show off whether or not you are a human. So have you ever barbecued a human yet before in this game? I have not, no. Oh, okay. Not that, I guess that's a good thing, but yeah. <laughs> now, it's not all as easy as I've described, because when you take those cards that give you the, um, uh, give you the investigation that you're going to go on, occasionally something will happen to the station. Uh, there are fire cards, there are smoke cards, and there are electrical outage cards. And if you happen to have an equipment card that's a fire extinguisher, you can put out the fire. If you happen to have a uh, flashlight as an equipment card, you can use your flashlights to still do an investigation in a dark room. But here's the thing. Once you use those up, you're dinging your inventory. So you're going to be one card less when you're actually on the investigation. And you have to be on the investigating team to be able to do these things. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. As the humans are facing off against the imitations, uh, things the outpost basically starts to fall apart and get destroyed. Rooms will be destroyed, um, and that is all tracked on something called the destruction tracker. And this is kind of a uh, very similar to the, the um, infection tracker in Pandemic. So as rooms get destroyed, you add things to this uh, room destroyed track. And then there's also an infection track that basically tracks how many times you've uh, missed challenges and things like that. And as you click those things off, your situation gets a little worse and a little worse. Because if you are in section one of that tracker at the end of the game, you actually get tools for determining who goes on the helicopter. Like a blood test that lets you test whether or not somebody is an imitation. Okay. But if you uh, wait too long or too many rooms get destroyed or you fail too many challenges, then you get a little bit worse rewards and a little bit worse rewards until you get no rewards at all if you're in the bad section. Okay, okay. And at any time, if four rooms of the station get destroyed, well, then that's just game over. Seems easy enough. So, escape is when the um, you get to the end of the game. You've, you've gone ahead and fi- finished all three sectors of the game. And now, 
the last captain has to make a choice. Who goes on the chopper? And the last captain automatically goes on the chopper. So guess what? If you're the imitation and you happen to be the last captain, job well done, you're free. <laughs> nice. So the imitations win if they infect the humans by raising the contagion level to maximum. They win if they fill up the destruction tracker. They win if they stow away on the chopper. But the humans can only be victorious if they manage to make it through the base, solve all the investigations, and get on the helicopter without an imitation. Seems easy enough. And that's it. That is the core mechanics of the thing. Yeah, I'm looking at the board over on the Board Game Geek. It is uh, surprisingly light. There's not a ton of cards. There's not a ton of anything. It looks very... No, it's a very clean design, all in all. Yeah. All right, well, okay. We're at that point, I guess. How's the rulebook? The rulebook is a little tough to get through the first time, but that's simply because a a lot of these mechanics are a little difficult to explain. There's some of the mechanics that you really have to do to, to get. Does that make sense? Kind of, you know, you, you can't ex- you, you can't be told what the Matrix is. You have to experience it for yourself. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Because once we started playing, I found the rulebook to be extremely helpful and I was never at a loss. But when I was originally reading through the rulebook, I was a little frustrated. But I just realized that it was one of those things where you really do have to get through it and experience it. Or probably watch a video on the Internet of somebody actually playing it. Yes, yes, you could do that, too. You know, I'm, check- I'm checking out pictures of this on BoardGameGeek. And, of course, someone's painted their miniatures, which, yes, always paint your miniatures. But yeah, no, I, I, I like I, I like all the components of the game. Uh, didn't didn't local Austin company Mondo do all the art for the game? Yeah, it's it's a Mondo production. They produced the game. Oh, nice. They're they're in that business now. Oh, it's yeah. good business to be in. But yeah, I, I like how the the design is very clean and very eighties. But you know, very the, like the art style is very simple. The card style is very simple. It's very aesthetically very eighties. But it, it, everything it looks very functional do you know what do you know what the tracker is on the infection tracker no what is it <laughs> it's a 3d miniature of the 80s computer from the movie <laughs> oh that thing on top i see it <laughs> yes oh that's what that is okay <laughs> so besides everything being thematic and awesome did they they and and the rule book being a little off did they miss anything else in the execution no not all components are all class um, they all have really easy to understand graphic design. Uh, the art's really cool. The minis look fantastic. They totally look like their characters. The art take is basically a slightly comic, uh, comic book eyesed version of the actors. So they're all instantly recognizable and they're, they're the, their special powers tend to be very thematic. That makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting the way that the math works out. It's actually, if you play in a smaller group, it's actually more likely that there'll be less things, which is clever. Yes. Huh. And, and honestly, I'll tell you what, one of the main reasons why I love this game. And I think it's become one of my most favorite, um, hidden trader games is because of those multiple times where the blood tests go around and you may or may not become an imitation. And that's huge because every time you get to that point in a round, everybody's paranoia ratchets up dramatically. And when it comes to making big decisions that may or may not uh, affect the overall game, everybody starts questioning who's a human and who's not in all the right ways. And it, it's just absolutely paranoia-inducing. And it's a real credit to, to how thematic that game is. So you said the minimum amount of players is four. Uh, have you played with more than that? Uh, I've actually played with five and six at this point. And does it get better with more? Uh, is there a sweet spot that you've seen? 
so far, no, no sweet spot. I think it, it it's pretty well tuned uh, for any size. That being said, I think it really does work best with large groups. It really, really does because it makes the paranoia go around that much more. Yeah, yeah. It's so rare to see a board game that can handle more than like four or five players. Yeah, and I love the fact that this is a minimum of four. I I think that that is really, really important. And I'm glad that I waited to have that many folks uh, to be able to play because I, I waited until that where I had a minimum of five, and it really helped. Yeah, it's just so rare, you know, because it's kind of rare to, to need a game like that. But when you need a game for you know more than four people, you really need a game for more than four people, and there aren't a lot of options out there. Oddly no, enough, and this is this is a really good one because once you've learned how to play it, it's very quick and easy to teach. Yeah, actually, that was a question I had. How how long does a game take once you know what you're doing? Because I love Battlestar Galactica, but I did not love the three hours it took once we figured out how to play the game. Once you know what you're doing, you're going to be done with inside of ninety minutes. That's that's nice. Wow, I can't believe we're here. God, Jonathan. Stop getting good games. Why? Because I don't have enough time to play them all when I visit. <laughs> I'll say this. This is one that you actually probably should seek out. This is a really, really, really good paranoia-inducing game. You'll, you'll look to your left and right every time you make a decision, and you'll just wonder if you did the right thing. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, stupid question. Is it fun to play? Oh, my gosh. Hugely. Hugely fun to play. It forces a lot of table talk, which instantly makes the, the table an interesting place to be. Um, it is essentially a cooperative experience, which is great because everybody feels like they're, they're working together. But whereas you'll be a little bit more bold and brazen at first because there's only the one imitation, as you get deeper and deeper into the game, uh, you'll start to realize and, and you will genuinely feel paranoid about the other people at the table that one of them is, is out to get you and... I don't know. It was great. It was what a, what a what a wonderful experience it ended up being. I love the movie The Thing, Jonathan. We may have to place this up on the list. I would love to do a commentary track for The Thing. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> I love that movie. I adore it. I adore everything about it. I think it's it is a a modern classic. Do you do you love it so much? You love its prequel? I accept the prequel for what it is. <laughs> I still have never seen it. It's not a bad movie. But it's not a good movie either. No, it's just not at the same level as The Thing. And so therefore, instantly people just hated it. But it's really not fair, because it works as a movie of its own. I think that's all I got to say about that, besides I want to play it. Yeah, it's really good, Robert. It's really, really good. So that is The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31 by Mondo Games. And Mondo Games was Mondo Tees. And they make some fancy t-shirts, so you know the art's going to be quite nice on that game. And if you were lucky enough to get a, a limited edition Mondo box, I envy you. I wish I was you. Well, sadly, Robert, you know what that means. Uh, I think so, Jonathan. But where are we going to find rubber pants our size? Not quite what I was thinking, but I have a lead. Um, that, of course, brings us to the end of episode 42 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, as always, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. Our Facebook group is actually becoming rather talkative. Yeah, it's quite nice. I love it. I love you guys. And we'd love to hear from you and what you've been playing and what you've been geeking out on. So please feel free to jump on there and talk to us. We always answer our comments. So that means that there's really only one thing left, Robert. Any final thoughts? So did you know that John Carpenter considers the thing part of a trilogy? Shut up. No. Yeah, yeah. He calls it his Apocalypse Trilogy. And the movies in the trilogy, which he feels are thematically related with, you know, the end of the world and kind of cosmic Lovecraftian horror, are The Thing, 
Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. I love him. <laughs> of the three, I think the Prince of Darkness is the weakest one, but it, it's still a pretty good movie. It's still a pretty good movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mouth it, of Madness is a creepy, creepy movie. I love that movie to death. That's, yeah, that that's my so good. favorite horror movie possibly ever. It's up there. Who's that? It's Sam Neill, right? Yeah, it's Sam Neill. Yeah. I think I snapped up the, uh, uh, when I was working at Borders, I think I snapped up the last DVD copy of that in the company. You know, if you uh, speak Norwegian, that the thing is completely ruined for you in the first 30 seconds of the movie? Yeah, yeah, because he's actually speaking Norwegian. Yeah, and he's screaming, don't trust it, it's a dog. It's not a dog, it's an alien. Kill it, kill it, kill it, or something like that. (laughs) And I guess when it was uh, released in Norway, somebody told me that they uh, actually dubbed it over in a different Nordic language so that you couldn't tell what it was. (laughs) That's funny. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. So we will see you again in two short, short weeks when we return with all kinds of, well, to us, normal nonsense. If you haven't seen the Apocalypse Trilogy, that's your homework. There you go. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Go. If you haven't seen The Thing, go watch The Thing. If you haven't seen In the Mouth of Madness, go see In the Mouth of Madness. And since you're there, go watch The Prince of Darkness because they're all, it's the Apocalypse Trilogy. Might as well round it out. Yeah, exactly. Again, I think I think Prince of Darkness is the weak one, but it's it's still it's got Alice Cooper in it. How could that be bad? And it comes full circle. More Alice Cooper. Who would have thought? In a nerd podcast, we get Alice Cooper. <laughs> All right. Well, join us again in two short weeks, and we will be back. Well, as always, Robert, party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 